0: Thank you, appreciate that, thank you very much. I am deeply honored to be here today. Um, I can't thank the No-Till Conference people enough, thank you. A um, Couple things I wanna say at the beginning here is I've developed a, a systematic approach to regenerative farming. We've been very successful with this approach on our farm. I can't guarantee that you will have that same success, so please, uh, Go slow and go easy and take your time. And what we're doing here is pretty advanced stuff, so, so please, again, heed my advice and go slow, okay? I'm a Purdue graduate, ag econ, class of 87. That seems like a long time ago. I'm a fifth generation farmer. I've been practicing now for 35 years. I have a beautiful wife, Carol, been married to her for 30 years. I have two beautiful daughters, Jessica and Rachel. I farm with my father, Richard Clark. He is the gentleman that is my mentor. He has taught me how to think, and that has gotten me much further than anything anything I've ever done. He's why I'm here today. He's a wonderful individual. I also farm with my ne- uh, nephew, Aaron Clark. We've been no-tilling soybeans for about 15 years. We've been no-tilling corn for 10. And we've been doing cover crops for 10 years. And we've been farming green for, for eight years. And I have a story similar to Trey's where Mother Nature kind of shoved us in this direction. It, it, uh, it rained one year. Um, It just rained every other day. We couldn't get in the field, and the field got away from us, tall cover crops, thought it was a disaster, planted into it. (laughs) Gotta have a snafu, right? Sorry about that. Cover crops got away from us, um, planted into it, everything turned out fine. third of our farm is in a three-crop rotation, corn, soybeans, and wheat. Another third of our farm is in a four-crop rotation for a dairy that supplies non-GMO milk to Dannon that puts that milk into a, a non-GMO cup of yogurt. Uh, very excited about working with Dannon. And a third of our farm is in transition to organic. We are 100% non-GMO on all crops. We use no starter fertilizer. We use no seed treatment. We use no fungicide. And we use no insecticide. How in the world can you do that? I'm gonna show you. We strive on collecting data on our farm. We have data that goes back 20 years. I could tell you what was done on any particular field on our farm, whatever pass happened on that farm, if it was a tillage pass, if it was a sprayer pass, I could tell you what was sprayed, what chemical was sprayed, and at what rate for the last 20 years. When you've got data like that, you've got a lot of power. Good data, leads to good decisions. Good decisions allow me to sleep at night. So when I get these wild hair ideas to go try something that has not been proven with any data, we're not gonna jeopardize the livelihood of the farm, we're gonna go out and we're gonna try it on 20, 30 acres, see how it works, maybe replicate it again the next year, And then we'll see how that works. Then we'll move it into into production on the farm. What's important about this is, this then puts you in a position of strength. And what I mean by this is mental strength and financial strength. I can sleep at night, because I've got all these years of data behind me. I've, I've done the trials, we've done the tests, I know we can plant corn into cereal rye. People will tell you you can't do that. Yes, you can. You just change your nitrogen management program and you can do that. Because there are times when I have to plant cereal rye because in the region of the world that I'm in, which is basically straight west of here, right on the Illinois line, October 15th is gonna be my deadline for oats, radishes, species of cover crops that terminate through winter kill, okay? Well, I am more concerned about having a living, growing cover on my acre than leaving it naked. So I'm going to plant cereal rye if I have to, even though I'm going to plant corn next year. I will then figure out how to manage that corn in that cereal rye next year because I've got the data behind me to do that. I also mentioned that it puts you in a position of strength financially. We are a low cost input producer. I'm gonna show you here in just a few minutes. I'm gonna open a lot of things up. It's like Trey said earlier, we're pretty transparent when we get up here and talk. We pretty much lay it all out on the line. And that's what I wanna do today because I I hope I provoke thought process today. That's what I wanna do. I want you people to go home and say, I'm gonna try something he's talked about. Farming green. Planting the cash crop of corn and soybeans into a living, growing, green cover crop. Termination may not occur for up to 30 days after planting, but typically it has happened within three to five days. That video that's playing right there, I'm planting corn in five foot tall cereal rye. It can be done, folks. There's a lot of people doing it. Again, it's not my preference, but if I have a choice between no cover crop in the fall or cover crop, I'm planting cereal rye. Benefits of farming green maximizing what the cover crop was intended to do. We're spending upwards of $25 an acre on a cocktail mix that why in the world would I want to go out on March the 28th and burn it all to the ground? Let's let it do some work for us, okay? Sequestration of nutrients. You're gonna see here in just a moment, I got a slide coming that's gonna show what I mean by that. By letting these cover crops go, we're sequestering much more nutrients out of, the, out of the soil profile. We are fixing more nitrogen if it's a legume package. So if I was able to plant oats and peas and, and clovers in the fall, and they survive this, the winter and come back next spring, and I let those things go until they're three feet tall and it's May 12th at Mother's Day, that's when we start planting corn now it's about Mother's Day, we have fixed probably upwards of 100 pounds of N. I'm taking credit for that because it's there, it's real. That corn plant is going to use that nitrogen. It just pulled it out of the air, nodulated it, released it, it's ready to go. Erosion control, wind erosion, water erosion, whatever erosion you might have. Increased pounds of biomass. This is, this is really what, where I think, I think the reason why I'm where I am today in the system, and what I mean by that is I've gotten where I am pretty quick, and I think it's because of this. I think we've let these cover crops go. They've gone from a biomass of, say, 2,000 pounds to the acre to seven or 8,000 pounds. With that biomass, we are laying down an armor, on the soil and we're feeding those microbes. And that's what all this is about. We're trying to build soil health here. And at the same time, be good stewards to the land. You see that, 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 that cereal rye right there in that picture? That's corn growing in cereal rye that was rolled flat with a roller crimper. Terminated, no spray. That's the same roller crimper that was developed at the Rodale Institute, it's an INJ, it's on a harm's bar. You're gonna see a picture of it here in just a few minutes. And it suppresses weeds. Now what, what we didn't anticipate on though, was sometimes this, if you lay down the six, seven, 8, pounds of biomass, you now have the opportunity to armor your soil with that biomass for up to 12 months. So when it's November the 10th and it's 38 degrees outside and we're still planting cereal rye into a thatch that looks like that, I have still protected my soil because that thatch is still there because I let the cover crop go and created all this biomass, so that has now given me armor for almost 12 months. That's big deal. Okay, about five years ago, I thought, you know, we got we've gotta see what's in this cereal rye, what what what's going on, what is it doing for us, what is it sequestering. 12-inch cereal rye. What we did was we took a two foot by two foot area out of the field. I don't know what I just hit. Did something happen? Okay. We took a two foot by two foot square out of the field, clipped it all at the ground, put it in a bag, overnighted it to the lab, and this is what they sent back to us. 12 inches of rye, it had 82 pounds of nitrogen in it. Fifth, what is that? 15 pounds of P2O5, which is the equivalent of 32 pounds of O46O, 76 pounds of K2O, which is the equivalent of 133 pounds of potash. Think about that folks, that's 12 inch tall rye. And that's when a lot of rye gets terminated. So, hey, it's done a great thing for you, but let's see what it can really do for us. Okay, let me set this up just a little bit more. This was a field that's in rotation. It was planted to corn, the corn was harvested, and 80 pounds of cereal rye was planted the fall, that fall. The next spring is when we're doing this testing. So it's 80 pounds of cereal rye planted in the fall behind corn. 18 inch rye. Look at those numbers now. I hope everybody in the back can see these numbers. Folks, 12 inch rye to 18 inch rye in the, in the month of April is about four days. If you wait four more days, look what we're doing here. 120 pounds of N, 20 pounds of P205, 44 pounds of o 460 And I told you I'm planting this field to beans or 213 pounds of potash. Okay, I want you to look at those first three columns. We're also starting to see why you have to change your management program if you were gonna plant corn in this environment. Look where all the nitrogen is. It's all tied up. 28 inch rye. Wow, that's free fertilizer almost. It's regenerating that out of the soil, it's pulling it up, it's it's gone out, it's sequestered. Folks, there's thousands of pounds of these these nutrients in the ground, we just have to unlock it and get it up. We're taking advantage of it. Okay, the next next thing I'm gonna show you is what really seals the deal for me. Okay, right now, 28 inch rye, we're at 281 pounds of of equivalent potash. That's That's more than my soybean crop needs. We're good to go. Next slide. Dead rye. Dead rye sample was taken two months after termination. That rye was terminated on June the 1st. August the 1st, look how much of that potash is released. Look at that. We're down to 65 pounds is all that's left in that plant. More than enough for that soybean plant. And and folks, I'm telling you right now, this field hadn't had any potash for four years. Synthetic potash applied. Don't need any. You want to talk about... Farming in tough times financially? How about saving some money on the input side? How about that? What drives our system? Diversification. This is is huge. What we are finding with our cover crop program that you need the most diversification you can possibly get within species. And not only diversification within species, but we need to get diversification between annuals and perennials. I no longer go out and plant cereal rye. You can fall into a monoculture in your cover crop program, just like you can fall into a monoculture in cash crop program. Don't do that. Be diversified. If I know I'm gonna plant beans in field A next spring, and it's fit for me to plant. It's before October 15th. I'm throwing the kitchen sink at that, at that field. But with that being said, I've also got to figure out which termination method am I going to do next spring. I told you I have a roller crimper. So what we're trying to do now is tailor our, our cocktail mixes to where they can be terminated with the roller crimper, Trying to reduce, if not totally eliminate chemicals. And I told you earlier, a third of the farmers is, is in transition organic. I, obviously I'm doing it to those acres, but I'm also doing it to all the other acres. We are taking our chemical load is gone down. I will show you all this momentarily. Cash crop rotation again. This is critical. We could no longer plant, in my opinion, in my opinion, we are not going to plant corn on corn ever again. The minimum that I want corn to come back to a field is four years. If you can pull this off, you will see your fields change so much just by doing these two things right here. Armoring the soil. It is critical that the soil has armor on it. I have been known to care more about my cover crops than my cash crops. That's okay, because it all starts with the cash crop, the cover crop, it all starts with the cover crop. So that's what I'm gonna care more about. Building soil health, period. I will not spray a pyrethroid, period. Too many, I'm going to use my good friend Dan DeSutter's right here. I'm going to use a term. I love his term. I hope he doesn't mind. I steal it. Unintended consequences. There's too many unintended consequences. If you make a pass of a pyrethroid, you are going to wipe out, at the minimum, 700 beneficial insects and bugs. 700. Not doing it. Now let's just think about this for just a minute. I told you I like to plant corn on May the the 10th, somewhere around Mother's Day, wherever it falls. Okay, I plant my corn, armyworms come in. It's V2. Armyworms come in and wipe me out. If anything, they may have helped my uh, emergence to be more even now. They've mowed that field off, right? They haven't killed that corn. Just walk away. In a week, it'll all be up. You're fine. So I'm not going to spray that pyrethroid and destroy everything else that's out there. Now, I understand that if, if you get late planting, and this is now a June 1st planting, and this happens, I'm going to probably have to really think about it because obviously we have to have a cash crop to pay the bills. But I really don't want to do that. I care about building soil health, building human health. I'm not sure we all think about this enough. I mean, I don't know how many products we work with that have skull and crossbones on it. I mean, why? Well, I told you I don't use any insecticide. We're non-GMO corn with no insecticide. I'm trying to have a better environment for not only me and my family, but my employees. Being a good steward to the land. That, I mean, I don't need to say anymore. You've got to be a good steward. It's just, you've got to have this for your next generation. You've got to have something viable here for your family. Return on investment. You'll notice that's my last, that's my last line to put on this slide. The header says, what drives our system? You don't see yield on there, do you? Yield does not drive my system. Being a low cost input producer that cares for the soil, being a good steward, and oh, by the way, building soil health all at the same time, that's what drives my system. Yes, I understand that, that yield is part of return on investment, I understand that. But to me, it's way down the line. Because if you accomplish all of this right here, the yield will come later. And if you accomplish what's on this page, you are heading toward balance. This is what I think is, this is where I think by letting these cover crops go further into the growing season, letting the biomass get upwards of seven, eight, uh, pounds, depending on what cover crop you're planting. Feeding those microbes, giving the microbes a diverse diet of exudates. All of this is heading toward balance. And when you are heading toward balance, we're working with Mother Nature, not against her. Now, I'm not saying that I'm at balance. Don't get me wrong. Don't, don't, that's not what I'm saying. I am heading... Toward being in balance. I'm much closer to being in balance today than I was 10 years ago. This is critical. Once you become, once your farm becomes in this state, and I'm sorry, I can't give you a scientific answer of what balance is. I can only give you validations of what balance is. In 2011, our farm burned 30,000 gallons of diesel fuel. Oh my God. You don't realize how much you do of something until you put it on a piece of paper. That, that's a bunch of fuel. Today, same acres, we're using 15,000 gallons. That's a 50% reduction in fuel. Start doing the math now on your, sa- your input savings here. Synthetic nitrogen. We were always told pound of N for pound, uh, yield a bushel. No, no, I'm being generous there. I'm, I'm showing that we're at 160 pounds of N. That's being generous because we have situations where I told you earlier that if we have a legume package that survives the winter and I will go out and make my own personal assessment, I'll dig, I've got, I mean, We all carry our spades with us. I've got a spade, it's my favorite spade. We dig it up, I'll look at the nodules, I'll try to make a determination on my own. It's not scientific, it's working. I'll take, I took this spring on a couple fields, 100 pounds of N. So take 100 off that 160, I only applied 60 pounds of synthetic fertilizer. Map, what is that, 330 tons to 27. potash wow how many tons 400 and something zero chemistry that's an average across the across the farm across the uh, what you're planting corn beans whatever chemistry went from $40 an acre to 18 lime wow That makes sense though, right? That makes sense? Uh, Look right there. We're not scorching the soil. So that would make total sense. We are right now on our farm, our average pH on our farm right now is 6.8. Haven't applied lime for three years. A soil test every year. So don't... You know, it's not an excuse, well, hey, Rick, you haven't sold test yet, so it, had, it hadn't caught up with you yet. Yeah. Soil test every year. Horsepower. We used to have 3,350 horsepower. Oh my gosh, that's just insane. And now we're at 1,200. So look, look not only do you see the input reductions on that page, but think about the amount of money that's tied up in horsepower today. You don't have to have all your cash tied up in in horsepower. Okay. Aaron Clark, my nephew, does most if not all of our accounting, financial type stuff. And I said to Aaron, I said, Aaron, I I need you to go out and I want you to find a conventionally tilled system and I want you to match it up to our system. Okay, I'm not picking on Purdue here. Purdue has this available, it's public information. This is Purdue's uh, producer expectation. They expected this year's producer, and I'm sorry, I don't know what that means, this 206 means, but I I can only say that they expected a 206 bushel yield. I just put in a 200 bushel yield on our side. I used a price of 375, and that gets you to a number. There's a couple things I really want you to look at, zone in here on though. Contribution to margin. Contribution to margin is gross income minus variable costs. We are putting 400 and $39 against contribution margin and Purdue's system is putting $352. Again, I'm not knocking Purdue's system here. I'm just explaining how our system compares to theirs. Total fixed costs, Purdue is at 803, we are at $615. This is, uh, this is unbelievable. Look at look at the account. Look at the break-even yield. What's Purdue's uh, system there? Losing money by. What's the math there? Uh, 18 bushel or I can't see. Yeah. We're at 147. You remember I told? Remember a few slides back? I said, good data leads to good decisions, which leads to a position of strength. I think I'm pretty strong. And I'm not bragging here, folks. I'm, I'm laying this all out. I'm being totally transparent with you. This is what we're doing. $147 an acre. Stability. This one here really blew me away. I asked Aaron to go back and look at the farm and, and, and give me before cover crops and after cover crops, a standard deviation. Okay, so all you need, to, all you care about here for standard deviation is yield variability. Same thing in this situation. Now this is incredible because I'm always asked, or I'm, I'm no, I'm not asked, I'm always told cover crops don't work. You can't use cover crops, they don't work. But look at this. Before we used cover crops, our stability in corn yield was 28 bushel. That's all over the place. After cover crops, it drops to 4.7. Again, I'm in a position of strength. I can now market my grain, barring any weather issues, but I can market my grain if I feel like the market is at a point where I'm comfortable with, I can pretty comfortably determine what my corn yield's gonna be because of this, and I can sell, forward sell grain. Same thing with beans, look at this. Before cover crops, 8.8. After cover crops, 2.75. We've taken all the noise out of this. Cover crops have done all this for us. And people still want to tell me that they don't work. I've got to, I, I just, there's, I just, yeah. I was gonna tell a story, I'm not gonna. Okay. Yield. I got, I'm sorry, I gotta got see my slide here. Okay, what I'm trying to show here is that our, our yields are on the left. What we're showing here is that we are on a 3.9 bushel increase per year trajectory. But Rick, I thought cover crops don't work. How much is the yield drag? That's another question. What's the yield drag? I'm so tired of that question. There is no yield drag. We're in an upward tra- trajectory. I went ahead and put the national yield average on there as well. Now they're also on an incline trajectory, slightly better than ours. But the point is, we're increasing yield year over year over year. And we're decreasing inputs. That to me sounds like a pretty simple definition of soil health. It's that simple. Inputs are going that way yield is going that way. I, how can you not be building soil health in that environment? It's that simple. Don't try to make this confusing. Same thing with soybeans. We are on an upward trajectory climb, and if you matter of fact, if you look at the national stuff, it's actually rolled over and headed down. What is that number, 1.3? So we are, in, we are on a 1.3 bushel a year increased tra- trajectory. I sleep pretty good at night. Okay. This is our planter unit. A couple things I want you to look at here. There is no no-till colder. It's just another device to create compaction, eliminate it. Trey alluded to this earlier. When you are in this environment of planting or farming green, it's usually five, six, seven degrees cooler. I'm talking about in underneath the cover. It's wet, and it's usually moist, damp. It's hard to close the seed slot properly. That's the key word here. Properly, So, I ran into Steve Martin at the Farm Progress Show last year, and I said, Steve, I need a closing system that will destroy the seed trench, absolutely destroy it, above, obviously above the seed, up, destroy it, and smooth it back in, and, and, and that's what I think I want. Then I was in the car with Dan DeSutter, Kelly Cheese Wright, and we were on our way to Wisconsin to a conference. And Dan asked, Have you seen the double disc openers that Hal Brown's got? And I said, No, let, let, let's see them. So Dan showed them to me, and in five minutes, we were all on the phone with Hal and we all placed our order. This is This double disc opener right here, it's precision tillage technology. They call it an STP double disc opener, saber tooth planter, double disc opener. This is incredible. Three things that it does that I, there's more than three, but these are the three main things it does. Number one, it cuts through all residue. There is no more hairpinning. That's huge. Number two, it creates a U furrow, not a V furrow. And now, my keton firmer is actually touching the kernel of corn because it can now fit down in there. Three, that saber tooth right there, as it's rolling through the field, it's lifting and crumbling the seed furrow trench as we're moving. I would say in this current setup that half of the seed is covered before you get to the Martin Till closing wheel. So what we've got here Remember the old spike tooth wheels they used to put on for row cleaners? That's what these are. With a depth blade, Martin Till calls this a spader closing wheel with depth blade and drag chain assembly. Right there's the depth blade. That's the rear, rear look at it. We ran this setup through cereal rye that was 50 inches tall. You're gonna say, what? What'd you do, go one round and have to clean them all out? No. We found that 50 inches is about the max that we can do this. And yes, if, if it was six foot tall, right, it would be a disaster to pull into the field with that. Steve would be the first to admit that. This is the kind of destruction that I wanted. The Martin till closing system, coupled with the precision tillage technology double disc opener, has allowed for proper closing of the seed slot. We have reduced seedling blight and increased harvestable plants. That's what it's all about. You want more plants out there at harvest time, they've all got an ear on them. You can't even see where the, the, the seed trench is. It's right here but you can't even hardly tell. The reason why I want this is because inevitably, four or five days after this planting has occurred, it dries out and that seed slot opens up and that poor seed is getting scorched with 90 degree temperatures. And that, you've, already, you've already dinged your chances for, for yield possibilities right there. And, and please note that at the bottom, Corn is planted three inches deep. So those spiked teeth are running in about two inches. You can't be flipping seeds out. So please, if you want to talk to Steve, or if you want to talk to, to Rich Christie, I believe he's here. Um, they, can, they can help you out, but, 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 but take, take heed here because this is totally destruction of the, of the furrow and that's what I want. We've el- we're not eliminating sidewall compaction, but we sure are slowing it down. This is my weapon of mass destruction number one against weeds. This is where it all begins. You tell me you've got a mares' tail problem or a water hemp problem, plant 120 pounds of cereal rye and terminate it with a roller crimper. You don't have those weed problems. This is my favorite piece of equipment. This is where it all starts. Like I told you, I care more about my cover crop program than I do my cash crop program. Weapon of mass destruction number two against chemicals. This is the INJ roller crimper. It's based on the Rodale Institute. This is where we're headed. We are making cocktails that are geared toward termination of this roller crimper. That's that's what we're doing. Okay. What excites me right now? This excites me. Cereal rye and soybeans love each other, period. We used to plant our beans around June because that's when the cereal rye is at full anthesis which is when you can roll crimp cereal rye to terminate it. I don't want to wait until June 1st to plant beans. So we are now going out and planting beans when that cereal rye is at at, uh, boot stage. That has moved up our planting date 30 to 40 days. We are now planting, okay, those beans there were planted on April 28th. I did something first this year I've never done. I've never planted beans before corn in my life. I will now, every year forward. June the 4th, terminating cereal rye at anthesis with the roller crimper. Remember we planted those soybeans? They're V2 right now. I hope you can see them. This, This video is not very good but I hope you can see them. Start looking. 6,000 pounds of biomass we laid down that day. We are suppressing weeds, we're arming their soil. I hope you can see the beans. It doesn't matter, because I'm gonna show you the next slide. It's the same field, folks. Next slide. July the 19th. Look at that. Start reading there. That field is in transition to organic, so guess what? There's been no chemical sprayed on this field. Look right, I don't know if you can see, right there's the rye we rolled down. I don't know if you can see it, but you can still see the straw right there. This field is in transition organic. The concept of going organic while utilizing cover crops and no-till excites me. This is a system that we will need to continue perfecting. Pollinator strips, this is critical. If I told you earlier, we are headed toward balance. This is another step in achieving that. We have to give the habitat for the pollinators. And I'm finding out it's also a way to become socially acceptable with what we're doing. I can't tell you how many people uh, I see in town say, man, I love driving by your fields and seeing all those sunflowers and sun, hemp in bloom. It's awesome. Right there's the, the mix if you wanna take a snapshot of that. All of my seeds are available at Cisco Seeds under that, that name there, Pollinator Palooza. The reason why I came up with these particular species is, is because this, this uh, cocktail, as you will, will start um, blooming in late May, early June and survive and continue blooming clear into the end of September. So I'm creating this habitat for the butterflies and the bees for several months at a time. Gunslinger. I'm extremely excited about this one as well. This is what we're going to lay down in the fall before a field that's gonna go to corn. Remember, I told you I care about getting mixes that can be terminated with a roller crimper. Haywire oats, the reason why I'm using haywire oats is that is a forage oat and it branches out and gives much more uh, foliage, foliage growth in the fall. I need that protection on my two legumes I've got in here. Winter, Austrian winter peas, balanza clover, and this is critical, balanza clover, not crimson clover. Balanza clover has a stem that's about the size of your pinky, and it's hollow. That roller crimper destroys it. Sorghum Sudan, I put sorghum Sudan and tillage radish in every mix I do, and I'll tell you why, I'll tell you why I do sorghum Sudan. It promotes mycorrhizal fungi growth better than any cover crop I know. I care about soil health and mycorrhizal fungi are a very important process of that soil health. So I'm trying to give them every benefit I can. Grazing livestock, that picture all look familiar, Dan. Those are Dan's cows. We are in the process of building fence and we're gonna start grazing livestock. Now folks, this right here is Nirvana. If you want to build soil health the most efficient way and the quickest way, you've got to get cattle on your farm. Am I just about out of time? That's good, because I'm just about done. If you are not uncomfortable with what you're doing, then you're not trying hard enough to change. I challenge everyone here today to get a little uncomfortable. I think you'll like the way it feels. I am proud to be a farmer, but I am more proud of the way I farm. Thank you.